Welcome back to another episode of Cosmos and Commerce Podcast, Sip, Save, or Succeed. I'm your host, Michelle Cook. And I'm Janice Francis. Michelle, speaking of Cosmos, have you tried that new cranberry twist on the classic Cosmo? Oh, I have. It is delightful. But do you know it's even more delightful? Our guest for today. Absolutely. Today, we're mixing up our usual format with a splash of entrepreneurial spirit with a twist of corporate wisdom. That's right. We have the incredible Sarah Khan with us. She's not just the owner of Corporate Rehab, but also the voice behind Business Blasphemy podcast. She's on a mission to liberate badass women from the confines of the boardroom, guiding them into launching their own ventures. Together, they strategize to craft a growth blueprint, ensuring these fierce females earn what they truly deserve. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Sarah, tell us about Corporate re Rehab and how did you create the name for your company? To be fair, I actually started out, my company was originally called Lynchpin Virtual. I mean, if I go way back, it's had two iterations before that, but it was Lynchpin Virtual. And the idea was being that sort of bridge, that Lynchpin between where a client wants to be and where they currently are. And that's always been my MO, is really helping people get to where they want to go in as sim simple a way as possible. And I think a lot of stuff online is really convoluted and complicated. I had started working with online entrepreneurs and a, a mentor of mine, she was, we were talking one day and she was like, you have a lot of experience in the corporate space. And she had me on her podcast and we were talking about things. And I said, yeah, one of the things I really noticed about women who've been in, in traditional workspaces and they come into entrepreneurship, they have all these hangups and they have all these like roadblocks and, and limiting beliefs that are directly related to being in the traditional workplace. And it shows up in their entrepreneurship and in their business. And I just coined this phrase. I don't know if I coined it, but I came up with this phrase, corporate detox. Like, we all need a corporate detox. And she goes, that's your brand. I'm like, what? She goes, you need to rebrand. And it, that was the catalyst for it. So I ended up actually rebranding as corporate rehab because the more women I worked with, the more I saw that it's not just women who were in corporate environments, but traditional workplaces. And then I started to see the patterns with women in general and just how they're showing up. I mean, it's a longer story, but that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Awesome. Tell us what inspired you to ditch the corporate world and start your own business. Oh, gosh. I mean, I loved my job. I really did until I didn't. <laughs> that's what I tell people. It was, I think there was no singular incident that led to me leaving corporate. It was just a lot of little things over a lot of years. The most recent, I would say, like the last kind of things were A, I was laid off again during my second pregnancy. I'd been laid off once before, during my first pregnancy. And this time I was laid off on mat leave. They didn't even wait for me to come back. They did end up hiring me back after I went to the union and we created a lot of noise. They hired me back in a different capacity on a different contract. And so nine years of my experience had been wiped out. I completely lost all of my seniority, everything. So started from scratch in a new department. And in that department, I was there for about two months before COVID hit. And so we were working from home and there was just a lot of really negative rhetoric around having the kids in the room. If I was on meetings or calls, you're not really working if your children are in the room with you. I'm like, where do you want me to put them? We're on lockdown. No one's going anywhere. They were online learning. I was trying to work. And then I had an incident where I got injured 
And the doctor had said, you need to take a week. I injured my eye and the doctor's going to take a week off. And my boss was like, absolutely not. So just like lots of little things. And then it just culminated in, I guess what can only be termed as a breakdown. Like I just, I really was not doing well mental health wise. And my husband was like, you can't go back. Like you can't keep doing this. And so he was the, the one who pushed me to do it, what I'm doing now full time. I had been doing it sporadically consulting and, and helping people with people in the workplace have been helping them, but I was doing it sporadically because the second layoff said to me, you really need to have a second income stream just to be safe. And he was the one who pushed me to, to do it full time. And that's the story. That's awesome to have someone supportive that has your back. Oh yeah. yeah it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So since you started, how has your perception of entrepreneurship uh, changed? since you first started corporate rehab? Oh gosh, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like I never wanted to. My brother's an entrepreneur and I would watch him work like 20 hours a day. And I just was like, no, I love going to my job and collecting my paycheck and not worrying about it, being able to leave it there when I come home. So when I finally became an entrepreneur, it was reluctantly. And now that I'm into my, in it up to my eyeballs, I, I really enjoy it and I can see the appeal of it and I can see why, I mean, a lot of people are like, I would never go back to working for someone else. But at the same time, the shine that's on it when you first start, that has really gone away. I've started to see the darker side of it. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of like the duality of entrepreneurship. It's not all mimosas by the pool and Louis Vuitton bags. And it's not that there's a lot of work that goes into it. And so I'm stuck in that intersection of it's really wonderful and it takes a lot of work. So I think I, I look at entrepreneurship now with a much more pragmatic lens than I did even five years ago. That's interesting. Yeah. My husband, he, I'll complain to him about all the things of entrepreneurship and he will say, I could get you a job on the base really easily. And I'm like, there is no way I could have a regular job. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I am unhireable. Well, I've thought about that too, because I've been self-employed now for 26 years. Oh, wow. And there's no way I could go back to working yeah. for somebody. Sarah, do you think you could ever go back? Do you know what? I have had moments, especially over the last two years of like, screw this, I'm looking for a job. And I like go through a spate of sending out resumes and things like that. But then I sit back and I think to myself, like, this morning, the little one didn't want to get out of bed. So she needed a couple of extra minutes. My last week, one of them was sick and I could pick her up. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a trade-off for sure Yeah, that I never had when I was working in a traditional workplace. And as much as I like to think sometimes it would just, I could just pack it all in and just get a job. It'd be so much easier. There is so much that I've already missed out on that I now have the opportunity to be present for Yeah, that I don't think it's, it would be worth it to me personally to go back right now. Yeah. I mean, never say never, but right now, probably not. Yeah. yeah. Can you share a particularly challenging moment in your entrepreneurial journey and how you overcame it? Oh, gosh. I mean, there have been so many. <laughs> but I think, I think the biggest one is a lesson that I continue to learn. And it's really trusting my gut, particularly when it comes to working with clients. As somebody who's a recovering people pleaser, I think most of us are, it's never been easy for me to say no to people. I want to make everybody happy. I don't want to let people down. 
And that has caused me to take on clients sometimes that maybe weren't the right fit. But because I could do the job, it'll be fine. Like I can do the work and it'll be fine. But then you get into it. And when you don't have a match with the personality, when you don't have a match with that person's ethics or the, the values that they hold or even how they run their business, it doesn't matter if you can do the job. So a big sort of thing for me to constantly remind myself of is just because you can do the job doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. And so having to tap into that self-trust that I really truly believe is one of the keys to, to really being successful as an entrepreneur and as a woman entrepreneur, but also it's something that is drilled out of us over so many years of being told that our intuition isn't accurate. We're too emotional. Don't lean into your emotions. Think with your head. But 99% of the bad mistakes or well, the mistakes period, but the bad mistakes I've made have been ones that where I didn't listen to my gut, where I didn't listen to my intuition telling me mm, there's something not quite right here. I think we've talked about that before where yeah. you have to have the guts to also like fire a client. Oh yeah. Let someone go. That's, it's a difficult lesson to learn. Yeah. 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 And especially in this economy, like I'm talking to a lot of people who are very, but we need the money. And I completely understand that. Cause again, I've taken lots of jobs where I needed the money and you're miserable. Mm -hmm. And how long are you going to be miserable for? We didn't leave our jobs to be <laughs> miserable, right? We left them to have autonomy and freedom and to be able to be the architects of our own future. And when you're stuck in working for a client that just does not align, is the money worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so honing in on that myself. Is there any like tips or tricks that you have found that help you develop your listening to your guts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I wish I had. <laughs> what I can honestly say is that initial, because I'm one of those people that will also gaslight myself sometimes. Like I'll get that initial intuitive hit and be like, you're just afraid, or that's just fear talking. Or, and again, that's so much of the rhetoric we hear in the space. But I will tell myself that I'll have this intuitive hit. I, I remember it was a discovery call with a client and I'm listening to her talk and I'm like, yeah, I can 100% do the job. But as she's talking, there's just something in the back of my head going, don't do it. Don't do it. And this other part of my head is you're just afraid because it's a big learning curve or you're afraid you're not going to be able to do this part. Or I was picking things out of the job description to go, you're just nervous about that. And three days later, we ended up parting ways. Didn't even make it the first week. Yeah. And that is like my continual reminder. So when that little red flag goes up in the back of your head or you feel butterflies in your stomach, I think that's, yeah, actually that's probably, that'll be my answer for you is if you're going into something and there's like that, that fluttery nervous excitement, double check in with yourself because when a decision is aligned there's actually no emotional, oh gosh, what's the word? There's no- Like a physical response. There's Yeah, like there's no heightened emotional state. You're not emotional in any kind of way. Like when it's a really solid decision, you just feel really peaceful about it. You're not super excited. You're not afraid. And I know in our culture, we like to say that you lean into the fear and all those butterflies are great things and you're going to be jumping out of bed because you're so excited. No, that's not how it works. Like when it's a really solid, think about the last time you made a decision that you were fully aligned in. Odds are you felt at peace about it, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that we need to start trusting that feeling more than waiting for those butterflies and those fireworks to go off because that can sometimes be really misleading. That That's great advice. Yeah. Aside from leaving your corporate job, what is the best decision you've ever made for your business? Oh, gosh. The best decision I ever made for my business <laughs> was to stop worrying about what other people would think of my branding and my brand Whoa. and how I showed up. Okay. I've had a lot of people, especially in the early days, say things like, you shouldn't cuss and don't wear swear word t-shirts and don't talk about this and you're, you need mindset work. You're so negative about the industry. And it's like, am I really though? Or am I just telling the truth and you don't like to hear it? I, I think when I stopped worrying about upsetting people that I admired, and it's not that I set out to be contrary or controversial. I, I absolutely do not. And I think that in my own head in the beginning, I was conflating the two things. Like you're not being intentionally controversial. You're talking about things people don't want to talk about, but that need to be talked about. And the minute I was like, this is my brand and I will show up how I show up. Sweatpants, t-shirt, maybe I've got makeup on, maybe I don't. I'm going to talk about what I want. Everything got so much easier. My content, the people I spoke to, the clients, the connections I'm making, like everything just fell into place. So that's that was the best decision I think I've ever made is just awesome. fully leaning into me. That's awesome. When speaking to that, I love your no nonsense business approach. Did it take you a while to get to that point or did you bite your tongue for a while <laughs> and then realize that you and other business owners were dealing with a lot of the same BS? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I bit my tongue a lot because again, like I'm a people pleaser, right? And when you're in a space where there are so many really strong personalities, but they all have the same personality, you're like, I can't rock the boat. I can't talk about this. I can't shake the status quo because what will people think? And I won't be accepted and I'll be thrown out of circles. And I will fully admit once I started to talk, because I did meet business owners, some of my very good friends and peers are people who feel exactly the same way I do. And they talk about it in a different way, but they're saying the same thing, right? There are a lot of nonsense business practices. So that made it easier to step into that for myself, but I've lost mentors. I've been asked to leave spaces like there, there has been a very obvious, not a backlash per se, but people have not been as receptive to it. Mm. And most of the time it's people who are benefiting from the status quo, mm. right? And they don't want me to talk about things in their spaces, which is fine. It's your space. I will respect it, but I'm not going to stop talking about it. And so it's been nice to find other spaces where that's a little more welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So with so many business coaches out there, I think I might know the answer to this, but what sets you apart and makes your approach unique? Oh, gosh. Can I be completely honest? That's like the number one thing I struggle to articulate all the time. And I don't know if it's just because I, I don't, I think the thing that would set me apart if I had to be toot my own horn and be really honest is I have 20 years of experience doing this. That's the thing. I come from a very strong corporate background, but it's not just corporate. I've worked for private entities. I've worked for higher education. I've worked for two of the big four like international firms. I've coached executives. Like I've got the receipts to prove that when I talk about business, I know what I'm talking about. And it's hard for me to say that because 
we automatically think that if, if she's saying that, then she must mean nobody else has business acumen. That's not true. Mm-hmm. People have varying degrees of business acumen, but if you want someone who's going to help you grow a business, then you need to actually ask those questions. What experience are you coming with? Mm-hmm. How many businesses have you actually grown? Have you ever, have you grown your own business? There are so many questions to ask. I think that sets me apart is just this ability to say, I, I have the receipts to prove that my knowledge and experience is what I say it is. Yeah. You, I got the receipts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So do you coach individuals or just uh, business owners? Business owners. I, I used to coach, I guess what you would call life coaching. Like I used to do. And what I found was particularly with entrepreneurial women, they go hand in hand. Like when you're coaching from a business perspective, you can't not help coach the personal side. So I like to say that I, I coach the whole human. Right. And that's the, the framework that I've developed looks at all of that. We look at your strategy and your operations, but we also look at your life and your capacity mm-hmm. and how the two things go together. Yeah. I got executive coaching a while back and it felt like some intense therapy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, now I know what it takes to be a leader. Yeah. In your most recent episode of your podcast, Business Blasphemy, you talked about the myth of passive income. Oh, yes. And I appreciated your view on things. What's the closest thing you've ever seen to actual passive income in reality? You're asking all the hard questions today. (laughs) I think, I think you have to. I have to preface this by saying that I don't actually believe in passive income, period. Okay. I believe in secondary income streams. So I think that was the point that I was trying to make in the episode, that when you say passive income, the vast majority of people look at that and say, oh, I can create a thing, stick it out there, and it's going to make me money in my sleep. Yeah. And that's not true, right? What we traditionally call passive income requires a lot of work. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's, can we just re- rename it as secondary income? And then it all works because you have an understanding of how much work goes into it. I mean, memberships are great, it, but it depends, again, how much you're putting into the membership to sell it and, and have it out there on a regular basis. I think courses are a wonderful way to, to bring in secondary income. But again, a course requires consistently generation and bringing people in because when you buy a course you're not going to buy it again. So there's a need to constantly have a have that course in front of a new audience. So any kind of secondary income works so long as you're putting the work into it. Yeah, I agree. I'm in real estate. My husband and I own some rental properties. And even though people say that's passive income, it is not passive when you have no. to phone calls about toilets overflowing and things like yes. that. At yeah. midnight, yeah. at 2 a.m. <laughs> Okay. So I loved how you talked about how entrepreneurs tell themselves a bunch of stories. Mm -hmm. What are some other detrimental stories that you've seen entrepreneurs tell themselves? Oh, that time equals money. Yes. I mean, like at, at the very foundational level, yes, time equals money. We understand the concept of that. But when you start to equate that with your worth or the value of the work that you do, that's when things get a little bit confusing. But again, we come from a culture and an environment, a, a capitalistic environment where the amount of time you put into something should equal a certain dollar amount. And I think that we come into the entrepreneurial space thinking that if I'm going to charge X, then I need to put in X number of 
of hours. And, and that can get a little bit confusing. And that can cause the stories in your head to really cause a problem, particularly if you are working on an hourly, like an hourly basis or you have a retainer type of rate. Another one is that you work with or work for your clients versus with them. That's another throwback from the, in the space. When you are working, when you, a client hires you to work with them or you go into contract with a client, you work with them, but it's really hard. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier to say no, or to assert your boundaries because we are told they hired you, they own your time, they own your, their, your effort. And it can be really hard if you've never been given that type of autonomy to know how to say, no, this is, you know what I do. Like the amount of scope creep that I see in a lot of my peers, when they work with a client, you're hired for a particular thing and you check in with them three months later and they're doing all of this other stuff. And you're like, what happened? You're like, I don't know. They just asked me to do it. I can do it. So I did it. And it just turns into this whole thing, despite having really clear contracts and scopes of work and all of that kind of thing. And I think the other big story that we continue to tell ourselves is that we don't have what it takes. We see somebody else being successful in their field and we somehow, because we're not at the point they are in their journey, we immediately think we don't have what it takes, but there's that comparisonitis that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it's really reminding yourself that their chapter 20 is not your chapter two. Yeah. yeah, And that's a big source of stories that I think could be done away with. Yeah. That's great. Can you share a recent success story that one of your clients, of one of your clients that particularly inspired you? Oh, gosh. Yes. I have, I worked with an incredible client. She was, I don't want to give too many details because I, I haven't asked for permission, but she was able to basically take her entire business and streamline, I mean, I say she was, she had a team to help her. I was on the team. We streamlined the entire business and made it so that she was able to take 10 days off, like completely from the business. And it was, the team took 10 days off, the business shut down for 10 days, the clients were made aware of that. And it was really helping her see that her time in the business was not necessarily being used as effectively as it could have been. Like, you don't need to touch all the things. That's why you have a team. Here's how we break things down. But then when what really inspired me about that was that she was so willing to change the way she saw how her business ran. Because she'd been a solopreneur for so long. And so when she was able to make that shift in her mindset and, and really allow her team to do what they were hired to do, we were able to create this, this reality where, yeah, I can shut my business down for 10 days, go overseas, have a great time, and the business does not suffer. And I really want to bring that into more businesses because I think a lot of us say we're going to take time off and we still work on stuff. I'm already looking over to Christmas holidays going, it's going to be great to have two weeks off. And I'm like, so what projects can I finish during Christmas break? It's oh, hmm. take the time completely off and yeah. things are not going to fall apart. So that was really... Like it reminded me too, that it's possible to do that. And I'm really happy for her. They've always said, I sell real estate, right? They always say, if you want to get busy, if you're not that busy, plan a vacation. Because <laughs> that's when you get busy. Mm-hmm. So, is there a common stuck point that you have found that your clients have? 
It's generally around, again, self-trust. It's around this idea of... So let me backtrack a little bit. One of the things that I find to be really common is that when we, when women come into the online business space, particularly, mm-hmm. there are just like three or four boxes that you can fit in. You can be an agency owner, a VA, an OBM, a DO. There's not a lot of variation. Or you can be a coach. And what I find is a lot of the clients that work with me, they see these labels and they jump into one of these boxes, whichever one they think they fit into. And then it's really hard for them to see themselves as anything other than that. And so the stuck point becomes where when I work with someone and they say, this is the kind of lifestyle I desire. This is the kind of business that I want to have. And yet I'm doing all of these things. And it's trying to bridge where they are and how they see themselves with how they want to see themselves and where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the biggest stuck point, I think, for anybody is this idea of being something more than you've always told yourself you are, right? And allowing your brain to open up enough to the possibility that you can be more or you can just be different. And it's entirely possible because this is going to sound a little woo, but I truly believe that if you have a dream on your heart. If there is something that has been tugging at you that I really, I've always wanted to do this thing. It's there for a reason. It doesn't just pop up. It's there because you have what it takes to get there. Otherwise it would not be there. Mm -hmm. And so my job is to help you figure out how to make that happen. I love that. I love that. So you're located in Canada. We're in the United States. Do you see any differing issues from clients from one region to another? Not really. I think we all have the same challenges. We just, in Canada, we have, I think, a smaller, it feels like a smaller entrepreneurial community. The majority of Canadian entrepreneurs that I have had the pleasure of meeting have more service-based businesses, but they're brick and mortar type of businesses. They're not as online. They have the option of being in person as well. A lot of therapists or real estate agents, that kind of thing. Whereas in the US, there does seem to be a little bit more of a a larger online, like online only focus. But other than that, the problems and stuff we all face, very similar. Good. So speaking of some differences, what is a major issue small business owners face? And how does that differ from some of the larger, more established businesses? Oh, gosh, I think visibility is the big one. We forget that as smaller business owners, you do have to work doubly hard to be visible and to be seen. And when you're trying to compare yourself to a larger, more established business who maybe have the the revenue and the resources to be in all the places, it's very different. So I will sometimes see a solopreneur, someone who's in the first two or three years of their business, and they want to be on LinkedIn and on Instagram and on Facebook and they want to show up on TikToks and they want to do YouTube videos and they want to run ads and blah. And I'm like, why? Oh, so-and-so is doing it. Yeah. But so-and-so is 10 years in, they have a team of eight people they have, and it's really helping them see past all of the, it's so easy to do, right? A lot of the, it's so easy to do you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And 99.9% of the time, it's not even that person. It's a massive team. There's a lot of ad spend. There's so much more going on. And so I think as a small business owner, you have to remember that you can get there. It's just going to take time. And right now you need to focus on one or two things that's going to move you forward, not all of the things. Because I see people try to do all of the things and they get burnt out. And that doesn't serve anybody. 
Yeah. Yeah. I heard you mention on another podcast that you do most of your networking virtually. Do you think that is easier, harder than in person? And which is more effective for you, do you think? Oh, that's such a great question. I, for me personally, online is easier because I am, believe it or not, incredibly uh, introverted. I am very shy in person. I have a lunch with someone today that I met at a networking event that I did. I emceed at a, a breakfast a couple of weeks ago. And I'm meeting one of the ladies that I met for lunch today. I'm petrified. I'm absolutely petrified because <laughs> you can't log off. You can't, there's no sort of easy out. And I just keep thinking to myself, if the conversation is stale, what am I going to do? I have to finish my lunch before I can leave, right? Not that ever happens, but that's always a big fear in the back of my head. I like online because it also allows me to connect with people all over the world. Like the vast majority of the clients I work with are American and I love it. And I would never have had that opportunity if I had focused solely on networking locally within yeah. my city. And yeah. to be fair, I don't think my business would have grown the way it did because yeah. there just isn't the market here locally for what I do. Yeah. yeah that's where that's we interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is so interesting to me that you say that the Canadian entrepreneurship pool is smaller. I wonder if it's more attractive to work somewhere else. I think it also has to do with where I live, though. I live in a really weird, a weird sort of black hole in Canada where it's, I, <laughs> we, we joke that it's, it's, we're called the hub. Technically, everything is supposed to flow through here to go other places, but we are notoriously hard to get to and get out of. And yeah, it's two flights to go anywhere, guaranteed. So I think it's just me being here is what makes it feel very much like, I'm in a small pool, but if you go out to the bigger cities on the West coast and the East coast, like Toronto, Vancouver, there are so many entrepreneurs. And I hear sometimes they have these wonderful get togethers and things like that, but I'm like a 24 hour drive away. So it's never oh. going to happen. Yeah. yeah. yeah that would be <laughs> Between posting on social, doing your podcasts and taking paying clients, how do you manage your time? Do you have a team or tools? I don't. No, I don't have a team. One of the things that I've gotten really good at is figuring out exactly what I need to be doing on a daily basis. And this was not the case five years ago when I was at my desk from eight to four and I was trying to do all the things. I've really figured out if I'm working on client stuff, that's one thing. I have allocated time that I work on my client work. But for my own business, I know specifically what I need to do on a daily basis and I focus on that. And that's not, I'm not sitting here saying, I do a four hour work week and that's it. That's not it at all. I do pull in, put in good hours, but I'm very focused on what I do. And so I'm able to do a lot of things because I'm very particular about what needs to happen. Those things need to happen every week. Everything else is a bonus if it happens. Does that mean everything gets done? No, but that's okay right? Because I know where I'm going. And I'm also really realistic about how long it's going to take me to get where I need to go. Nice. I'm not in a rush. So yeah. yeah. So for someone feeling hesitant about leaving their corporate job, what advice would you give to them? Have at least three months of savings before you leave. Yeah. People don't like to hear that. Take a chance on yourself. Believe yeah. in yourself. Go all in. No, don't. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> 
three months minimum if you're really a good planner, six months. And I know how hard that sounds in this economy. Mm. I get it. But if you are really thinking about leaving your corporate job and starting a business, have an exit strategy. Don't just throw your papers up in the air one day and say, I quit. Like, I know how that feels because I wanted to, I want to do that for years. But have the exit strategy, know how much money you need to survive for three to six months and make sure you have that somewhere. And then when you do start your business, start lean. Don't feel like you have to invest in all of the things. You really don't. But you need to find somebody to work with who aligns with your values and who can help you set up your business foundation. And then you can go from there. So don't get sucked into all of the really big marketing hype of we, I can help you replace your corporate income in six months and blah. Don't <laughs> have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. So what motivates you? How do you stay inspired during the challenging times in your entrepreneurship? Oh, gosh. I think just loving what I do, like really, really clear on why I'm doing it. Because have, have there been days I wanted to burn it all down? Absolutely. And that's why I have my why, my vision, my mission posted right here. I look at it on a daily basis. I don't know how many entrepreneurs do that. I think we, some of us do the exercise of what's my vision, what's my goal, and then we tuck it away somewhere in a Google folder. I've got mine printed out on my wall because I have to remind myself, this is why you're here. If you don't have that clear reason for being here, it's easy to constantly pivot. It's easy to leave when it gets tough. It's easy to feel deflated when things don't go the way you planned. But if you truly believe that the reason I'm here is to do this thing, then I wouldn't say it makes it easier, but it makes it easier to get back up when things are hard. That's, that's great. Sarah, after hearing about your amazing story and getting your advice, let's do a quick round of fast questions. Okay. We'll ask and you answer the first thing that comes to mind. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm going to out myself here now. (laughs) All right. Let's do it. Okay. What is the book you've most given as a gift or the book that has made the biggest impact on you? Oh gosh. The Brene Brown book. The first one, Dare to Lead. There we go. Yeah. Dare to Lead. He's great. Yes. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life? Starbucks gift card. (laughs) (laughs) My dad gifted me a $500 Starbucks gift card last year for my birthday. And I was like, it lasted. How long did that last year? Three months. Three months. months. (laughs) (laughs) That's her mission is to make enough money for Starbucks. Starbucks. Oh, my God. I'm going to own one one day. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? I like to flick my little girl's ears. <laughs> She's got these cute little sticky outy ears. And I just like to flick them. <laughs> okay. That's cute. That's cute. <laughs> what is your proudest accomplishment? Oh, 100% my two girls. And it's weird to call them an accomplishment because it's not like I set out to be like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, that's not what it means. But I, th- I think I'm most proud of just how, I mean, the little one's still little, but she's a friggin' powerhouse. The older one is just every day she shocks me at just how empathetic and worldly and smart she is. And I'm just so proud. And if I do nothing else good in the world, knowing that I've unleashed those two into the world is more than enough. They've got a good role model there. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. 
So what is your current passion project? Passion project. Uh, I'm working on putting together a course that is basically designed for women who want to come into online entrepreneurship. And it's going to, it's going to be like everything. It's going to be a little mini MBA and it's going to be very excessively priced because I think that when I started in the online space, there was so much I didn't know. And as a result, I got, I mean, I'll admit it, honestly, I got taken advantage of and I was sold things that I did not need at that level that I had no business having at that level. And so to create a really comprehensive course that covers everything, all of the different pillars of business, here's what you actually need right now. Here's when to invest in something else so that when women come into the workplace or into the entrepreneurship, they actually have a, a guide that is not going to cost them thousands of dollars because when you're starting out, it's scary to have to invest thousands of dollars with a coach or long-term containers. And if they can have something that they can work on at their own pace and mm -hmm. is not going to break the bank and they can start to build that business. Because for me, I want women to build businesses to actually be able to create financial independence. And that does not mean having to invest every penny they have in smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And so that's... Yeah, that's something that I'm itching to do and it's underway. Yeah. Yeah. That's sure wonderful. That'll be amazing. Yeah. What is one skill you would like to master? Cursive handwriting. Calligraphy and cursive handwriting. I ha I should have been a doctor. Let's just say that. My handwriting is atrocious. <laughs> and I keep buying all of these pens, these like fancy pens, like fountain pens, thinking the pen is going to fix my handwriting and it just will not do it. So I wish, because I see some of these people with their gorgeous handwriting. I know. Mm. Makes me so mad. I know. There, There's this girl in our town who's going to have a hand lettering class. Maybe mm. you should take a trip here just for that class. I should. <laughs> I've tried all of the online ones where they're like, follow these templates. It never works. No. <laughs> Calligraphy is hard to learn. It is. It is. When I was in fifth grade, a fountain pen was on our school list of things to buy. And that's when we learned cursive, when I was oh, in wow. fifth grade. I mean, I th I'm pretty sure we learned cursive when I was in like grade school, but at some point printing became cool and that's just, that's stuck. And now oh, and I have this yeah. weird mishmash of, I don't even know what it's called anymore, but it's horrible. My grandkids, they don't even know cursive. They, oh, they it's like a secret language now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what? It's going to be like hieroglyphics. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, do you believe in the power of manifestation? Ooh, oh, we're opening a can of worms, Janice. <laughs> yes and no. Yes, I do. I do believe that you can manifest, but I do believe that it takes an equal amount of work, like actual practical action. I think that from my perspective, manifestation is all about having a singular focus and believing that you have the capability of attaining it and then also putting the work in to actually get it. Makes sense. Yes. What was your very first job? Uh, I swept up hair in my mom's friend's hair salon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And the very first roach I saw, I left. Oh, that <laughs> so it lasted about a week and I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> One of my first jobs when we were going these questions ourselves, I worked at a laundromat for a little bit and it was maybe half a day, just a few hours. And 
I was just like, I was out of there. Oh, oh that was me at the body shop. One of my first, one of my first jobs when I was in university <clears throat> was at the body shop. I got fired the same day because <laughs> I wouldn't harass the customers to buy stuff. She's like, you're not being aggressive enough. I'm like, oh, oh no. to be aggressive. And oh, so I was God. fired. Oh, wow. Where do you see yourself in five years? Still doing this. I love it. Maybe with, actually, in five years, I am a renowned speaker who is doing the speaking circuit, giving keynotes at women's conventions and high schools and inspiring women to really believe in themselves and ditch all of the imposter syndrome nonsense and create change in their community because they believed in themselves enough to do that. I love that. Awesome. I think you're going to do it. Manifest Thank you. It. Yes. <laughs> what is your pump up song? Oh gosh. You know what? Don't ask me about songs right now because <laughs> I have not listened to a Sarah song for so long because all I'm allowed to listen to in the car is Taylor Swift. <laughs> so if I have to be honest, like right now my pump up song would be anything from her reputation era because I think that's a badass album. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but don't ask me to name a specific song. I just okay. like the vibe of the whole album. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so since we're called Cosmos and Commerce, what is your favorite drink of choice? Oh, gosh. Does coffee count? Yeah. Yes. Okay, Starbucks. awesome. Coffee, my drink of choice is the caramel macchiato from oh, Starbucks. Delicious, delicious. $500. Lately, we have, we saw this viral drink on... TikTok. And it is, I mean, I can't even tell you. It tastes like a gingerbread cookie. Mm. And it's, can I give you the recipe? Yeah. All right. So it's a venti chai tea, like a chai latte. Okay. And it's got pumpkin cream cold foam, two pumps of brown sugar, and one pump of vanilla. And I don't know what it is. They drizzle, they, they sprinkle a little cinnamon on there. And it's just the best thing I've ever had in my life. Mm. And I know they're not going to keep it going for long because once the pumpkin's gone, it's gone. So me and my daughter have one like every day and I'm just, <sighs> it's delightful. So that's my drink right now. Nice. Sounds great. Sarah, where can our listeners find you? <laughs> I am on the socials. I'm on Facebook. That's where I do all of my long form ranty posts. I'm on Instagram at Corporate Rehab. And on the podcast, Business Blasphemy Podcast. Awesome. That wraps up another enlightening episode of the Cosmos and Commerce Podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your journey and insights with us today. That was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. So absolutely. We're so glad to have you. And I must say, every time we chat with someone as inspiring as you, it feels like sipping on a refreshing Cosmo after a long day. <laughs> Oh, Janice, always with the cocktail references. <laughs> but you're right. It's been a treat. So to our dear listeners, if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, please hit that subscribe button and don't forget to check out our website at cosmosandcommerce.com for more episodes and exclusive content. Yes, and while you're there, drop us a comment or suggestion. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep mixing business with a dash of fun. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>